This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. Um, my name is Craig. My name's Andrew, and Craig, I have terrible news. Oh, no. There's been a murder. No, a murder most foul. <laughs> and I am, I am, I regret to inform you that the person who did the murder is still in this very podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. Who's been so murdered? Little, Our like, credibility? A little Belgian dude is going to come and talk to us both a lot until he figures it out, though, is the good news. Like, we don't have to do anything. Great. So, like, our He's characters just... can be pretty, like, arch- arch- I was going to say architectural, but, like, archetypical. <laughs> we, I mean, if I could be an architect, probably. I could be window dressing. Mm-hmm. You could be my, my manservant. That's a, yeah. Who, who gets caught in a lie, which then catches me in a lie. And then the whole thing unravels from there. I love to unravel things. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to our book. Well, box. luckily, lucky for you, I read Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. So that's all that that's all we're going to be doing is unraveling a great mystery. Yes. And hopefully by the end, maybe by the end, listeners, if you listen all the way through, you'll find out who did the murder, the podcast murder. <laughs> now, listen to any government <laughs> agents who may be listening to this podcast. Everything Andrew said is most definitely a goof. Or is it? Or is it? I'm contractually bound to say, or is it in this scenario? <laughs> um, I'm definitely innocent of everything. Everything. Or is he? This is our book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Uh, usually a book that we have not read before. Andrew, just a real quick check. Uh, for the record, you have not read this book before reading it for the show. No, never okay. have. Great. Again, just making sure our credibility is in check. And yep, that's the one thing that hasn't been murdered. <laughs> Good. Uh, they're clear. Uh, they had an alibi. Um, and this is our second, after nearly 500 episodes now, our, only our second Agatha Christie. Yeah, last time we did uh, Murder murder of Roger Ackroyd, episode yep. 66. In an June episode, of 2014. An episode where we both talk uh, just a little bit about what a strange app Tinder seems to be. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird riff that we did. <laughs> Here, let's both talk about something we have no context for and just try to make each other laugh. Oh, wait, that's the whole podcast. It's so, welcome oh, no. if you've been here before. We um, haven't fixed anything. <laughs> yeah, you can go check that out. It's still not a bad episode, that book. It's fine. It. That book in particular is is worth knowing about. I don't, I'm not even saying like we're worth listening to. Just like it's worth listening about that book, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We talked a little bit in that episode, so we're going to give you some author information. We're going to take a quick break, and then Andrew is going to tell me about this book that he read. Mm-hmm. I have not read. I have seen a film adaptation. Now, is this the 2017 film adaptation or yes. the 1974 film adaptation? I okay, have, so you've seen Kenneth Branagh. I saw his, Kenneth Branagh's film. His work. Mostly on the strength of 
it had Daisy Ridley and Leslie Odom in the cast. It's Hot. got an extremely strong cast. That yes, yeah. and and in particular those two off of Hamilton and the first sequel Star Wars was like mm-hmm. okay. Where are these folks going to go? They're going to go yeah. into this movie where maybe somebody gets murdered. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's g- that uh, Johnny Depp plays the horrible man who gets murdered. Mm, is, I forgot uh, that. Is a I don't was it that uh, that oppression touch on the, on the part of <laughs> Kenneth Branagh? I don't know. Who knows? Um, that's what they call Kenneth Branagh, oppression touch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about Christy in episode 66, but I think there was more to say. Um, she is the best-selling author ever, perhaps. Born. And we talked about how the only better-selling authors yep. were like Shakespeare and God. Yes, correct. Uh, born for, 18- the co- for the collected works of Shakespeare and the Bible. <laughs> the Bible. Born in 1890. Respectively. Died in 1906. Uh, talked about her disappearance in 1926. Uh, she's written 83 books, including romances under the name Mary Westmacott. Uh, you may also know of her Miss Marple mysteries. Uh, she worked as a nurse during World War One. Uh, multiple places that I read that fact cite it as the reason she knows about poisons in her books. Huh. Okay. Okay. I mean, uh, I guess people can't do independent research about poisons. <laughs> uh, her first novel, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is the debut of one Belgian detective, Hercule Poirot. Uh, was rejected six times before being published finally. Uh, and she went on to write a whole score of his novels. We'll talk about that in just a second. She's made a dame of the British Empire in 1971. We, talk, we talked about that a lot yeah. in the other episode. <laughs> made a lot of jokes that we thought were very funny about dames. And I saw somewhere that her last public appearance was the 1974 premiere of the of the Orient Express film by, uh, huh. I don't remember the director's name, but it was Albert Finney. Playing Poirot and Ingrid Bergman playing Greta something. Do we know who like what, how she felt about that flick? Uh, Did I, she think it was okay? The only quote I saw was that she liked it, except Poirot's mustache wasn't good enough. I see. I think that is a note that apparently the people who did the Branagh film took to <laughs> heart because his mustache is it's ridiculous, cartoonish. Yeah, it looks like SNL, like cotton candy exaggerated for comedic effect <laughs> yes um well i'm sure we'll learn more uh, what when i talked about the Ackroyd book i we talked about poirot but i know i was really more interested in the twist of that book and spent a little bit more time on that poirot as i said premiered in 1920 um in he his premiered. first in his first appearance he was already retired mm-hmm. um so when he quote unquote died in 1975 he was probably over a hundred, you know. Like she kind of wrote herself into a corner there. People retire young sometimes. Maybe if you're um, just a phenomenally successful like disruptor of the private investigation space, like yes. Hercule Poirot, then you can retire whenever you want. Uh, apparently, it was important that he was Belgian when she created him as a character because at the time of the writing, like Britain had entered World War One, and they're like they're the line that they drew was the invasion of Belgium by Germany yeah. at the time. Well, and, and, and this book has a lot to say about like the different temperaments of all the different kinds of Europeans. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Neat. Sure. And Americans, Americans as well. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about his eccentricities, his evolution of 
you know, Sherlock Holmes into his like theories of mind and his little gray cells. Yeah, like you, you do get like a repetition of certain um certain axioms, like, you know, when you eliminate the 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 a suspect. Whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, about about whatever remains, however improbable must be the truth. Like you get a version of that. Sure. Okay. Relayed and sort of stiff translated into English, like French or what? For, like the book yeah. is written in English, but you get a lot of snippets of French and the way like Poirot and some of his uh, some of his pals talk is like a little intentionally obtuse. I yes. think. Yes. Uh, if you recall that, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I believe that is all meant. In many of the stories, he plays that up to make him kind of underimposing whatever that he i think yeah there's a he doesn't there are a lot of things he comes out and says explicitly about his like theory of investigation and his theory of how how people work he doesn't talk as explicitly about how he tries to he's obviously trying to make himself seem as unimpressive mm. as like possible in the not not even like trying to make himself seem like a you know like a shabby little whatever but he's trying to seem like somebody who people don't really think much about or, or notice much yes and then when he does come for you with his powerful logics you were not as on guard for them as you would have been sure. if he was like a Sherlock Holmes who was like doing 20 lines of coke and then coming at you like Sherlock Holmes does yeah <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, and the last thing I want to say about Poirot before we continue to slander Holmes, I guess, um, he, he, is, knows, he knows what he did. Sherlock I, Holmes. I think Poirot is the only fictional character to ever receive a front page obituary in the New York Times. In 1975, okay. when Christie announced that Poirot was dead, they ran a front page obituary about the famed Belgian detective Hercule Poirot, who was dead. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that would have been happening in the mid-1970s that would have deserved more space on the front page hmm, of the New York. Interesting. There are certain publications that certain people on this podcast no longer are employed by that could maybe use their power to to better ends, let's say. Craig will choose... (laughs) Speaking for the record on this uh, podcast where uh, definitely no one committed a murder, um, Craig will continue speaking about Hercule Poirot uh, mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. They spend the first half of that obituary talking about a man who's not real and then spend the second half of it kind of demoing some graphs that they're definitely going to use in her obituary a few years later. Like there's a couple, uh-huh. whole half of it is just about her, which is odd. But how do you... <laughs> But if, I mean, I guess it would be like if you got an obituary and like half the the second half of it was about your mom, just about like how the person who created you was was who <laughs> yeah. it was really about. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely exactly what it's like, Andrew. Yeah, because Agatha Christie is Hercule Poirot's mom in a way. <laughs> You're right. I'm gonna keep running through my <laughs> my research nonsense. Put this book in context. Published in 1934. Uh, in the United States, it was called The Murder in, in the Calais Coach, so as not to cause confusion with a Graham Greene novel uh, that was originally published as Stambul Train, but the, the American audience learned about it as Orient Express. Okay. It's so convoluted. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was likely, and not likely, it was inspired by the Lindbergh kidnapping, the kidnapping of Charles Jr. in 1932. Um, Lindbergh was a national aviation hero. We're not going to talk about his 1941 speech on neutrality vis-a-vis He's World got War some, II. Uh, some, uh, some, some things he used his platform for yes. that were not good. <laughs> we're not going to talk uh, about that. Uh, yeah. But the country collectively lost its mind when baby Charles Jr. disappeared. Um, kind of a who would do this to a national hero situation. Uh, and then Charles Jr. was later found uh, deceased a few miles from the home of the Limburgs, and then this guy Hoffman, uh, this German immigrant, I believe. I don't know if, where what his citizenship was, but he was found guilty and later executed. Um, but there are lots of hoaxes and theories still out there about why maybe Charles did it instead. I don't know. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, but yeah, and this this story is one of her fo- one of her, if not her, most famous mysteries. Um, and we will probably talk about why when we get to the ending of the story, which I believe yeah, because like it's the isn't whole like point. the like the tenth Poirot book, or it's like up because it's up Ackroyd, You that this came up in the previous episode yeah. as you thought that it was the first Poirot book, but it ended up being like the sixth. No, <laughs> so no, no, no. This is still like yeah, pretty so this far. Was, yeah, this was into the into the franchise. This was 34. He debuted in 20, so 14 years in. Funny you say franchise. That Kenneth Branagh film, it was fine, right? And yeah, I like thought- it, it was not a it was not a a blockbuster like monetarily or critically, but it did well enough in both respects that it's getting a follow up called Death on the Nile. It's yep. coming out next year, 2022. Yes. I thought that we just had that that sequel didn't exist because maybe the first one hadn't done as well, and we got Knives Out instead. But no, apparently, it's just COVID. It's just no, it's just been, a cursed COVID production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. All right, let's take a quick break, Andrew. I have some notes on the the actual the train, the Orient Express, but I feel like we should talk about the book first. So let's take a break. Okay. Craig, I like to think that when I come around to your place, I can offer you like a no- the normal, like average amount of help. But what? Who do you call if you need more help and and maybe better help than that? Do you think? I think you should call our sponsor this week, Better Help. That's so funny that you said that. That's their name. Yeah, it's really funny that I phrased it that way. But you're you're right. Huh. Well, if you phrase that, maybe you know already, Andrew, that Better Help makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. Do you know that? You don't say. Huh. Tell me more. I do say. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 48 hours. Send a message to your counselor at any time. Andrew, did you know that? <laughs> You're going so fast, but I didn't I didn't know that, but maybe if people... <laughs> people at home if you're trying to enlighten them you should slow it down a little bit all right i'll slow it down a little bit the service (laughs) is available for clients worldwide and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise they can talk to you about grief about anxiety you're going through stuff at your job you want to talk about a relationship you're in they got someone for you as a listener you'll get 10 percent off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. 
I do apologize for going fast. I was trying to catch my train. <laughs> it's the normal amount of the, the, the regular help that I can give you is to tell you to slow down when you're talking too fast. But if you need more than that, then then hit BetterHelp up for sure. BetterHelp.com slash overdue. You're waiting for a train, Andrew, a train that will take you far away. You know mm-hmm. where you hope this train will take you, but you can't know for sure. Yeah, like London, I guess. I was thinking into your dreams, like the movie Inception, but also where is this train going? It's going to uh, eventually London. <laughs> that's, that's It goes a lot of places. That's where Hercule Poirot is going, is London. He's going to he's London. Been, he's been recalled on urgent business for something that probably happened in a previous book or will happen in a future book i'm not sure i did not search the big like legend of zelda-esque hercule poirot canonical timeline there's at least there's like puts all the books in order the associated press used the phrase cinematic universe when talking to (laughs) branagh about poirot and i just my head hit the desk reading a five-year-old interview about it but anyway Mm -hmm. what's poirot up to the hpcu no, that's not the Hewlett Packard Cinematic Universe. <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> Hercule Poirot has been recalled to England for an unre- a second unrelated mystery that we don't hear anything else about. It's a mystery. <laughs> but he is uh, he's going to get on this train, the Orient Express. It's got some other name. We'll just keep calling it the name that the book is calling it. It is a uh, Eastern European uh, the train that's going through Eastern Europe. That is where it's going through, where most of the events of the book take place. And he has, he's talking to his friend Book, who B-O-U-C. I looked up the pronunciation before. Book. And I you could put more of a stank on it if you Book. want, but I'm not going to. Just like when you put more of a stank on Poirot than I'm going to do. Heck you, Poirot. <laughs> We're two great guys, both named Louis. You got to pronounce it like you're like you've got an orange and a sock that you're swinging around. Like the syllables have like a <laughs> centrifugal force that you're not fully in control of. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so he's talking to his friend Book, who's a director who runs this like train line, and he's gonna give Poirot a really cherry seat on the Orient Express uh-huh. and. Then he is like, oh, wait, this is weird. This this train is totally full. That's so strange. This is never the case for trains in now times at this time of year. That's weird. Anyway, I'm going to squeeze you on anyway, but it's just weird. Even the special car that I keep for my own personal secret use has been sold out to somebody. So, it, you know, there's a lot of people on this train. And Orkiel Poirot is like, huh, weird. Okay. <laughs> Gotta get on this train, I guess. I, I'm got, I mean, I got places to go. I got, I've been recalled to London on urgent business. Where so is he at the train. start of the book? He's in Istanbul, Constantinople. Is where yeah, is he? Yeah, he's. Uh, um, so he is has taken another train from Aleppo to Constantinople, which okay. was Constantinople at the at the time. It was not Istanbul yet. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, this is before the song came out that educated everybody on this name change. You play the song backwards and it starts reading off Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, you know, Poirot has actually met a couple of the the people who end up being on this on the Orient Express with him, uh, a couple of uh, English people. And it's commented on many, many times through this book how reserved and uh, and closed off the English are as a as a nationality. OK, <laughs> a lot of. There's this point they're talking about the murder and this guy was stabbed a bunch of times and everybody is like, well, okay, the, the person, the, the way this guy got stabbed, it was so forceful that it almost had to have been a man, but the way that he was stabbed a bunch of times, really frantically, some of which were damaging and some of which were not suggests that it was either a woman or someone with quote a Latin temperament. <laughs> no, <laughs> because they were so, because they were so. Uh, you know, it's a it's a crime of passion, and the only people who can get passionate are you know certain demographic groups. My God, <laughs> I guess. But this this factors in something I think I knew going in about the way that these books are and then that I reminded myself of when I re-listened to a chunk of our uh, Roger Ackroyd episode is it's not the kind of, you know, how sometimes you read a book and there are people who you run into at the beginning and just like little things that happen and really they don't come up again. Like you, the, the book is is telling you who you need to be paying attention to and who's going to be important. And sometimes there are characters who just fall by the wayside or like individual little things that you don't necessarily need to remember to enjoy the whole rest of the book. Yeah. I think I knew going in that the way this book was going to be was it was going to be dropping little breadcrumbs for me from like the very start. And so every time that Poirot noticed something he, that he didn't strictly have to notice yes. or overheard something he didn't strictly need to overhear or just really just observed or told me anything that stuck out to me even a little tiny bit. I was like, okay, that's probably like a clue that's going to be crucial. And the further away from the murder, it seems like we are, the more important it's probably going to be that I have to remember this clue. Some sort of <laughs> gravitational slingshot is going to bring it right back into the story. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Like it's going to be very important that we're spending all this time meeting these two English people. She's on very different train. She's yeah, very the murder that there's not even a murder on that we know about. Yeah. She's economical that way. Like she, does not care to tell you things that will not set up or help you solve the murder. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like in half a dozen Poirot books in, anybody who's reading this, you know, you're up for it. Yeah, you know, you know what you're going to get. You're probably also sketching out things in your little notepad if you're trying to solve the mystery yourself. There yeah. are a couple points in this where you basically feel like you're just looking at Christie's notes where she is like drawn a schematic of this train car and where everybody was on it. Sure. And has written out this whole like list of suspects and what their potential motives might have been and what their alibis are. Like just the, the kind of thing you know that if you're building a mystery like this, you do have building in your in your mystery. back pocket just to help yourself plot it out. Yeah. Uh you do just literally get that verbatim a couple times in this book. Tell me, do you meet everyone? Before the murder happens. You meet some people before the murder happens. And you do meet the victim before the murder happens. Important. Because he is a... uh, He's this guy whose name is... uh, Ratchet. Samuel Ratchet. No relation to the nurse, I presume. 
I mean, I wouldn't know. This is 1930-something, so it could be Nurse Ratchet's like, grandfather. Or but really, it's not yeah. it's not his real name, so no. Okay, the, cool. the shorter answer is no. Great, it's not, thank it's, you. It's no relation. Cool. No problem. <laughs> uh, we we meet this guy, and, and Poirot just notices what an unpleasant countenance he has. Oh, I he love it. A, he approaches Poirot, and boy, is it... Handy for Poirot that he has the like the the grasp on human psychology that he has because this guy comes up to him and is like you're Hercule Poirot I know about you you're the little Belgian dude who solves who solves good mysteries real good and I have people who are after me and I could use a very observant little mustachioed Belgian guy to be watching my back and Hercule Poirot. Even though, I mean, he is on he is on other business. He has lots of other excuses. But at the end of the conversation, he's just like, I don't like your face and I'm not going to work for you. <laughs> it's been, like, I find you unpleasant. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so uh, he's Parra just trying to, to get bed. home. He's just trying to get back to London. Um, he's just like God in that song about what if God was one of us just trying to go home. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> you remember that one? We're, I was singing "Building a Mystery" earlier while you were talking. We're in the deep, we're in the deep weeds. We're in here. the paint. We're yeah. in the paint. <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah, so we who met do we a meet? Who do we meet? We we have met uh, we've met Mary Debenham, who is a a governess who is also returning to England along with a, a colonel. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Arb Arbuthnot. Arb- Arbuthnot. Arbuthnot. I think Arbuthnot. Yeah. Yeah, Arbino, sure. Uh, who is another English guy who's coming back from India to England? And this is this is the time of the the British Empire, and so there are all kinds of countries that that England thinks this should be in charge of. <laughs> uh, we meet like uh, uh, Mrs. Hubbard, who is like a loudmouth American who is just like trying to tell everybody about her daughter all the time and the and how great her daughter is and the book does slam her daughter a lot as being like quote exceptionally plain looking oh wow <laughs> which is not dang <laughs> it's, it's i don't know, it's a little it, it is funny in so far as it is setting up mrs hubbard to be like a, a loud mouth like stereotypical american in okay this very very european book yeah <laughs> um, oh sure you meet uh, uh, Princess Dragom Drag Dragomirnov. Dra- Dragom. It's she's a Russian princess. Dragomirov. Dragomirov. Dra- Dra- mm. uh, we meet Ratchets, uh, the people who work for him. Uh, this guy McQueen. Yep. Um, and then another another person. Um, we meet this count and his wife. We meet this um, uh, guy named uh, Cyrus Hardman. <laughs> Cyrus Which is an awesome name. Cyrus Hardman. Now this is the this is the 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 Roger Ackroyd book had uh, Major Blunt. Why is which was hands down the best name, and then Cyrus Hardman is the best name in this book. Why I is think, this book not sure. about Cyrus Hardman? It should be about Cyrus Hardman, uh, but Ooh. he is uh, an American. Uh, he he is posing as a. Uh, he sells like typewriter ribbons or something, but huh. really he's an American detective. Okay, okay, okay. And when Poirot is questioning, I'm like, "Do you know anything about this murder?" He's like, "Man, I should because I'm also a detective, but I don't know anything about <laughs> it." 
Uh, we've got a, a simple Swedish lady. We've got a, you know a maid of the princess. Everybody in this book is described the way that they're described. Um, and then we've got, in addition to a book and uh, Doctor Constantine, who are yeah. Poirot's like buds uh, partners in this in this investigation. Because he needs somebody to talk at. He can't just talk at us, the reader, yeah, directly. Okay. <laughs> he needs he needs reader surrogates to be in there being like, how are you, what? That seems like a weird leap of logic, but okay. Um, and then there's uh, this guy, Michelle, uh, who is a conductor on the train. Can I ask a quick question on the structure of, of the book? Of course you can. Thank of course you. you can. Thank you. Yeah. And I would love at some point to just like run you through the... The book is split up into three parts, and each chapter has a name. And I would love to just tell you about that. But so hit me with structure, and then we'll segue well, into that. I bet. My, it's just one big question. It is whose book is it? So the Ackroyd book, as I recall, was narrated by someone who we were not supposed to think was a suspect. But spoiler, yada 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 yada. Um, is this like from Poirot's close POV? Like, what is the? You always you always are with. Poirot, okay. Yeah. That, see, I don't remember. Like, there, there that is that was no the case like cold open. Yeah. There's no like cold open where a mysterious figure like has a knife and then runs out of a door or something. No, it's all you're always with Poirot 100. Okay, time. that's important because I think it's like you are never privy to information that he doesn't have, which is yes, important. exactly. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that I guess makes the like the weird little things that he notices that you're supposed to also notice like way more um, important. Yeah, way more important. Like you know, you're get because you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. You as it cho- were. <laughs> 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 that you're supposed to be paying attention to all of it. So we, this book is just split up into three parts: part one, the facts; part two, the evidence; part three, Hercule Poirot sits back and thinks. What? <laughs> and if this, if this could. If that was not a placeholder, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not accusing Agatha Christie of. Listen, there's only three people on this podcast: us but and I, Agatha Christie. Well, us and Agatha Christie, and the person who's been murdered, who we still need to figure out. Yeah, as okay. The, as the podcast goes on, um, I hope that you at home have been listening to the clues that I've been dropping this whole time mm-hmm. about the, about mm-hmm. the murder. Um, but. If this is not a book with an established formula and with like that, that could that knew that its readers knew what they were getting into. Like, I don't think you you name like part three of your book. Just, yes. OK, now he's going to think about it. I don't think you do that unless <laughs> you've got pretty clearly established like guidelines for what sure. it's like. Sure. You know I mean, yeah. Um, Tell me about this murder. And then, yeah, all, all the chapter names, like like in, when you're in part two, the evidence, like every chapter is just like, okay, now we talk to this different person. Yeah. The evidence of the wagon lit conductor, the evidence of the secretary, the evidence of the valet, the evidence of the American lady, the evidence of the Swedish lady, the evidence of the Russian princess, the evidence of Count and Countess Andrea and Andrei. And the evidence of uh, blah, blah, blah goes on and on. And on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember reading that. Including about... the evidence of the weapon. Whoa. The evidence of the passenger's luggage. Like you're just, you're not just getting people. You're also getting things. Inanimate okay. objects who Poirot has turned his Sauron-esque eye onto <laughs> so it can strip them and discover all their secrets. Tell me a little bit about the murder 
as it as it happens as you the reader the reader are privy to it. So you're on the Orient Express, right? You're just hanging out. You're having a good time. This train's fuller than you want it to be, but you're you know you're on it. You're going where you need to go, whatever. Um, and you hear a bunch of like bumping and thumping and noise from the rooms around you. Don't go and dumping at like at like very specific times that you happen to notice. Yeah, and just record mentally because you're going to have to reconstruct a, an exacting timeline of everything that possibly could have happened. Just we Hercule Poirot. <laughs> Uh, and the train also gets stopped because of bad snowstorms. Uh-huh. Uh, so what was what seems like it may have been planned to to look like a like a hit and run sort of murder turns into a like a locked room mystery because yes. nobody can get off this dang train because it's been stopped in the snow. Yeah. And even though the window has been open to make it look like maybe the murderer got into the snow, guess what? There's no tracks out in that snow. Sure. So could have could have thought that one through better, murderer. Kenneth Branagh's adaptation makes it a derailment because everything needs to be more exciting. Everything needs to be, yeah, probably some like explosion or something. But no, in the book, just like it snowed and it's it's train times, so trains can't make it through snow, and we have to stop the train. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Sure. Uh, and so it, it, you know, you wake up in the morning and some guy's been murdered. A guy who just asked you for help because he was afraid he was going to be murdered (laughs) has become murdered. (laughs) Oh no. On the very train that you are riding. When did this become a choose your own adventure episode with Hercule Poirot as the player? I would play a choose your own a choose your own adventure with Hercule Poirot as the player. Yeah. Except, you know, I don't think actually that Chrissy would be cool with that because she would not want Poirot to be able to make wrong choices. Would it surprise you, Andrew, that the video game adaptation of this book for the personal computer um, features a different protagonist and Poirot is like sick the whole time and you can go ask him for advice? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, because, you, yeah, you don't want Poirot to be fallible just because you are stupid yeah. and not as smart as Hercule Poirot. It would it would break the whole thing. Yeah, of course. Anyway, this guy's been stabbed 12 times. This Dr. Constantine, whatever his name is, he comes and he's like, some of these, like, three of these stabs could have been lethal. <laughs> Two of them were obviously made in a corpse that had been dead for a while because they did not bleed enough to be stabs that an alive person could get. This guy's and I, a I, good doctor. <laughs> well, I knew that that kind of thing happened because I've watched so many uh, crime procedurals, including yeah. Bones. Okay. I'm familiar. Uh, so, so I just w- want to watch an episode where the people from Bones meet Hercule Poirot and they, you know, they solve a, a I mean, he did die in 1975. The New York Times ran an obituary about it, so... I mean, the show Bones had an episode where Santa was on it. The show Bones had an episode where David Boreanaz saw Stewie from Family Guy in real life because he had like a brain tumor that hadn't been operated on. I did. I think I've talked about this before. I did watch an episode of Bones at the gym once where he was yes. hallucinating a ghost while he was trapped on a boat. Yeah. That episode. So there's abs- yeah. absolutely no reason why it could have been 
David Boreana is like talking to Hercule, Yaku- Poirot. Hercule Poirot in his mind because he was like reading a book. Or you're right. Like you're right. Asleep or he ate yeah. like a bad sandwich or something. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, he's been stabbed a bunch of times, and then there have been there have been some clues, sort of like clumsily left in a way that is transparently meant to deflect responsibility ah. from and onto somebody. And so okay. the first. First thing that happens really is, you know, you, you talk to the doctor who gives you sort of the medical facts of, of what happened and, and the stabs and like the time of death. And you do these the sort of Phoenix right search for the room for evidence <laughs> and where you like look under tables and you find like pieces of paper with stuff scrawled on or whatever. But you find some clues that do seem to to have been planted because. It right from the jump, they're like, okay, I don't think because we've got these stab wounds where he was dead already, it doesn't seem like this could have been one person. Ah, uh, sure. Um, and so when they start finding like bits of evidence that indicate like multiple different people on the train and seem obviously like contradictory and planted. They are like Poirot especially is is very skeptical of like, oh, like the knife hit this pocket watch that he was wearing and it stopped. And the the way that the watch stopped tells us exactly what the time of death was. And there's only one guy on this whole train who smokes pipes. And we found like a pipe cleaner in this in this room. And Poirot is very he's he's rightly skeptical of easy evidence. And so he's like, yeah, this might be evidence, but it might also not be. evidence. Okay, okay. Um, and so they, they find a couple things that seem like they must've been planted and a couple things. It seems like someone didn't want them to know about. And one of the, the latter things is this, like this charred piece of paper, obviously someone had tried to burn it and Hercule Poirot does this fun, like detective thing where he can you know he like reheats the piece of paper like the the one ring yeah (laughs) and can see the script on the that used to be on the letter and it just talks about uh this armstrong baby okay and we learn through poirot that there is you know there's this uh, american family like there's a daughter of an actress and like a a famous like war hero Mm. like or kind of guy and it had been it, it had made all the papers and then been this big like sensational thing where this baby was kidnapped and then uh you know the the whoever kidnapped the baby tried to ransom it and then when the ransom money was paid the baby was found dead and it's this guy uh, ratchet whose whose last name is actually cassetti mm. who did it but because of some technicality he got off in court and so he did not get the punishment that he deserved for for doing this thing that he the book wants us to be very clear he definitely did this bad stuff to this kid and there's no question about it it's just that the justice system has failed certain people huh and so that's what you need to kind of internalize for the end of this book to feel good and not like (laughs) vigilante mob justice well and can i ask a quick question too like at this point has anyone no one has hired Poirot to solve this murder. He's just no, yeah, like book kind of wants to, and okay. and some of it is like, man, we're gonna have to deal with like the the Yugoslavian police, and it's uh, gonna be this whole thing. Would be really good if we gonna... had this all wrapped up. 
Yeah, like we could just like give it to them on a platter and not have it be a whole thing. That would be really good for me and my trains that I own. Sure. And, uh, and also I imagine a bunch of whatever police show up to this train with the murder, they're going to ask Poirot what happened. He's they're going to know about Hercule Poirot because yeah. some of the people on the train even know who Hercule Poirot is. He has a like a low level of fame that... You know, fans of the genre know about. They read a tweet about an article about him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, I saw about you on 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 <laughs> bustle.com about how you solved about how you solved it. I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline and I guess you're really good at solving murders. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> so. I just I am very excited for Knives Out, too. That's just what I'll say. Anyway, I rewatched yeah. that movie recently. It's very good. Knives Outer. I hope that's what it's called. God. They should call the first one Knife Out, so that the second one they could call Knives Out. Just call this one Knives In. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting idea. I think mine is better, but I I like you for trying your idea also. Hey, they gotta they gotta have options already. for the focus test. You know, <laughs> when they put it before the people, before they put it before the people. Anyway. <sighs> So uh, okay, after we after we do all the you know the investigation phase, we move on to the interrogation phase, and he talks to all these people and he finds all kinds of stuff about him. <laughs> Book and Constantine both, well, especially Book, the whole time is being like, "It's the Italian guy, right?" Because this was clearly a crime of passion, and the Italians are so passionate and fiery. It must have been either an Italian or a woman, and that's what all the people around Poirot are no. saying the whole time. <laughs> Like the chef of the train is being like, yeah, it's probably a woman. Like this seems like a kind of thing a woman would do because it was so passionate. Huh. Okay. And Poirot the whole time is being like, well, couldn't somebody have staged it that way to trick people, other people, other non Poirots into thinking that it was somebody else who did the crime? Yeah, Hercule, he knows what's up. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna go blow by blow through all the all the evidence and all the people who he talks to, but it does seem like the the people who the evidence in the you know in in the train in in the um, the suite or the 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 booth that uh, Ratchet slash Cassetti was in, the people who would be the most implicated do seem to have. Strong alibis from people who they have no reason to know. Oh, okay. And the rest of everybody seems like they just couldn't possibly have any connection to this. And there are like a lot of uh, consistencies between the stories they're telling. Like they, they all heard someone speak with like a, like a man speak, but with a high voice. Hmm. And they saw a woman in like a very conspicuous like dragon kimono. Like I remember the kimono, the yeah. Car. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so Book and Constantine, these these idiots. <laughs> Cause that's kind of how the book is with them, is there's just a couple of bumbling like they have that part in book three, part three, where they all sit and think about the thing yeah and both of their thoughts are like book is like man trains 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 and constantine is like i don't know what's going on man if my wife ever finds out i'm having an affair with this other person (laughs) it's gonna be really bad for me (laughs) and when poirot starts talking again the book uh says that that he is like disturbing constantine from a quote pornographic whoa 
reverie. Like he's he's clearly just thinking about messing around on his wife with some other woman. Oh man! <laughs> instead of being good at solving mysteries. Hmm. So I I waited. I guess you're a good doctor, Constantine. But I don't know. Maybe rethink some elements of how you're living your life. Yeah, perhaps. Um. So yeah, it's just it's we get to a point where everybody's stuff is so airtight that book and, and Constantine are like, it. it is they they start unraveling these threads and discovering that a lot of these people do happen to have these like personal connections to this Armstrong family ah. that this, that the stuff happened to um, the, the Russian princess is the most like obviously linked because she was, friend like close personal friends with i think so daisy armstrong is the is the baby baby. yes and i think like the baby's mom like um uh the russian princess just just knew or was like the godmother of or something like that there are a couple of people who have closer connections but it's not until poirot starts unraveling this web that we find out that like, Oh, everybody like the, the Colonel like served with the, you know, the dad of this baby in the, in the war and, and multiple members of this group like used to work for the Armstrong family. And it, it becomes this thing where, uh, the book and Constantine are like, this is, they can't all be in on it. Right. Yeah. And then at that point, Poirot is like, okay, call everybody into this room. It's time for me to deliver my dramatic monologue where I put together all the evidence and and let you decide what is the most likely story. And so he called, you know, everybody, everybody gets together. Uh, Poirot's talked to them all multiple times at this point. So I think a lot of them see the writing on the wall. Some of them are afraid of, of being outed as the as the murderer like it you know emotions are running a little bit high among a a lot of people in this group makes sense and poirot presents two theories he says the first theory is that when the train stopped uh not not at the snow stop but like the last scheduled stop somebody wearing a you know a, a uniform for this train line got on uh killed this guy as part of some like feud and then, you know, they, they left the uniform that they had worn and they hopped out of the train and they ran away. And so that's one theory. There, there are other bits of evidence, but like that's the the like it was somebody who isn't on the train theory is the, the important way yeah. to think about this first theory. OK. And Book and Constantine are both like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I can't <laughs> believe this dumb stuff that you are asking us to believe this can't possibly be you're Hercule Poirot what are you talking about yeah and then Poirot is like well don't dismiss my first theory until you've heard my second theory my second theory is that everybody did it Uh because everybody was related to this Armstrong family and he like outlines the way that everybody has been is connected to this family and it turned and this uh the obnoxious American lady, Mrs. Hubbard, suddenly starts speaking in a much more like, I don't know, authoritative and and, and what is clearly her regular like speaking voice. But she was, you know, she was a famous actor. Ah. And and so, you know, she's talking about how the, this role that she was playing as the obnoxious American. And it turns out that she is Daisy Armstrong's grandma. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress Linda Arden. And she and it becomes clear that all of these people knew this guy Cassetti was going to be on this train. And there are a total of 12 people who participated in the murder, which the colonel insisted on because that's the number of people on a jury. And he has the you know, he, he has this whole thing they said earlier about how, like, the jury system is, you know, is as good a system of justice as anybody's come up with. And. The, you know, the, the court system has failed to give this guy Cassetti what he deserves. And so they, a jury of 12 people, are going to all murder him. And so they, the reason there are so many stab wounds and there are so many different, like, like qualities of, of wound on him from, like, you know, obviously lethal to very weak and, like, wouldn't have done anything is because all 12 of these people went into that car and stabbed him at some point. And uh, uh, Hubbard slash Arden volunteers to be the person who takes the fall for everybody else because she like masterminded this plan. Okay, so and, and I, then, I don't, I didn't remember this. They yeah. all knew that they were all participating. It was a yes, planned yeah. dozen. Yeah. Yeah, so so the reason that this this train car is full, I mean, it's at this at this off, you know, in the off season, is not a coincidence. Okay, that all these people got on here at once to to enact justice on this guy who kidnapped and killed this little girl who was the light of this entire family's life, and the whole family loved her. And like the chauffeur talks about how she would sit and and like pretend to be steering the car and all this, like. Very, uh, you know, touching kid stuff, which as a parent of a two year old works on me, I got to say. Well, and and it's also interesting to think about in the context of the Lindbergh murder and this like international story. But certainly the story of like how a, a country being like, this is terrible. How do we get this guy? And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm struck by the well, fact for a, that for it a, is like for an I, innocent an innocent child to yeah. be the victim is is yeah is yeah. is big in letting you the reader be okay with with the end of of the book and so so it is you know everything everything is laid out and I, I you know we we are spoiling what happens but I don't think the fun of reading this is all in the whodunit. Like obviously you, you as a, as the reader of a Poirot book are supposed to be thinking about who did it the whole time that you're, that you're reading. But I also just like enjoyed knowing a lot about like the, the tropes and the kind of book that this was just like taking note of the, of the breadcrumbs that Kristen Can was I... leaving and just like observing the, the scaffolding of the book as, as she built it around. Can him, I ask, you know I mean? did you know the solution going in? No, I didn't know. Okay. No. Do, when do you think, when did you figure it out or when did you think that was where she might be going? I didn't have the whole thing figured out until he laid everything out. Okay. But I also wasn't trying particularly hard to like, P.P. Sylvia, like murder board, the, yeah, sure. the way that everything was happening as it was, 
as it was going through. I'm like th- there were some things that Poirot didn't reveal to be significant until the end that yeah. I knew that the, when they were happening, that they were significant. Okay. Like it's significant uh, every time Poirot notices like an errant grease stain on somebody's passport <laughs> or that the monogram on somebody's suitcase seems wet or like whatever sure. it is that he's noticing. <laughs> there were a lot of articles about this movie, about the story when the movie came out. Um, there's a good one from Constance Grady on Vox, um, What Makes Murder on the Orient Express's iconic ending work so well. And she just argues that like you as the mystery reader looking for the solution where one killer, one murder equals one killer in, yep. a, in mm-hmm. and of itself is a red herring that can like make the book really fun because there's plenty to make a lot of assumptions about and a lot of like potential solutions out of. But the fact that you're looking for, okay, well, which person is going to be the person? Yeah, who, who done it? Who done it? Yeah, it, it innately. Who, who done it? Always sort of. It, it's always like who is not necessarily singular or plural all by itself, but you, it does imply like, okay, one person did this. Yeah, or a a body did it. A, a yeah. So yeah, like like from the start, you suspect that you're looking for two people or or more than one person, but you don't start to think that everybody. It's could some real have been galaxy brain until, stuff. Yeah, like it is. It, it you are in the same the same boat with, with book and Constantine where you're like this, it is, it would be so improbable for all of these people to be in on it, but anything else would be impossible. And so it must be true somehow. And that's how Poirot works his way up to this. And, and so knowing what has happened to this baby, knowing that it was a, a, a little girl and knowing that all of these people were like, justified in doing what they did in so far as this guy Cassetti definitely did do everything he's being accused of. There's no reasonable doubt. He got off on a technicality. Um, Book and Constantine are like, you know, I think that first theory that you had where it was somebody from outside the train who then got away, that, that suddenly seems like a really compelling theory to me. And so maybe that's the one that we'll tell the police, like we'll, we'll get to the next stop and we'll tell the police that that's, that's, you know, we have famed investigator Hercule Poirot here and that's what we figured out together. And that should just be, that should be what happened. Hmm. And so it does end up being like, Oh, Hey, vigilante justice is okay this time. Cause the guy definitely was guilty and he deserved it. Yeah. And you know, corporal punishment is okay. <laughs> Yeah, and by extension is okay also. Like, the death penalty is fine. Yeah. And it's cool that he got stabbed a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you feel about it in the moment as you were reading the, like, he's going to let them all go? I mean, it's... You don't want to see any of these people go... Yeah, sure, sure. ...to jail or, like, get put on the like a medieval torture device or however they did corporal punishment in the 19th. (laughs) (laughs) Woof. You don't want them to get put on a Braveheart machine and get their like limbs stretched out or whatever. But That's what they called it. It's a uh, it's a thinker. So, yeah, in the in the moment, you're like, yeah, this guy seems like a real scumbag, and I don't want any of these other people who don't seem like scumbags to get punished. So that's you know that's fine. But I you know it doesn't really bear thinking about the uh, the implications. 
Yeah. 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 Of people taking matters into their own well, hands. And like, yeah. And then listen, I'm not trying to say that the court system is always no. batting 1000 with, in terms of like getting people who deserve justice, justice. Yeah. But I also don't necessarily want our podcast to be on the record as condoning, you know, the, ca- mob the death penalty or mob. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, sure. Yeah. I was reading a little bit about, uh, the guy who killed Charles Lindbergh jr. And like his wife, like they just fought along. I, I don't think there was ever any, any evidence that ever pointed against him substantially, but like, she was fighting that it was a mistrial for a long, long time, and just that, like, I don't know. I was reading about it, and I, I vehemently opposed to the be- to the death penalty. So just like steeping myself in that, I'm like struck by like, well, okay. So this book gives us a sense of like what is a community of people do in the face of of a miscarriage of justice, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah. like, what are we left to feel about? that and and in the context of a genre that is usually like giving us this satisfying aha it was the butler it was whoever well and often this kind of story doesn't end with like the person getting like knifed to death because he did a crime it's it's just like he gets cuffed and hauled off and he says that he would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids correct it's it's usually a more benign sort of Punishment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I can definitely, like, you wouldn't want this Cassetti guy to be alive as a witness in the middle of the intricate mechanics of an Hercule Poirot tale. No, no, you would not. Where the whole point is like having to reconstruct truth from scraps. Sure. Like, you, you don't want the person who could just tell you what the truth was to be around. No, you got to take him off the board. Yeah. Which she does, and if you want to do that with twelve different stab wounds, then I guess that's just that's just one way to do it. It's one way to do it. You know what you uh, can't do anymore, Andrew, is take the Orient Express. What happened to it? Uh, it ran. It's it ran from eighteen eighty three to two thousand and nine. It was quote was a, a good run. It was quote a victim of high speed trains and cut rate airlines. <laughs> I found <laughs> um, there is. Something called the Venice Simplon Orient Express train, um, named after one of the versions of the Orient Express, because there's a couple different routes that happened in the mm-hmm. early 20th century. Um, they do have a line that goes around parts of Europe using old cars from the 20s and 30s. So if you do want to take a train where maybe when the snow falls, you're going to get murdered, uh, you could go do that um, if you want. That sounds fun. I mean, it's a, it sounds like a fun place to plan like a murder mystery party. Yeah. Or a real murder. Huh. Though I think if you did that, the cops would come and be like, okay, was it all of you? Did all of you do the murder? Because. Yeah, definitely don't take I, a group I read trip the Wikipedia on the page. I read the Wikipedia page of this book and it suggests that maybe it was all of you. So huh. maybe that's where we'll start. Let's start with all of you. Yeah. Cannot, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. No. Anyway, thanks for telling me about this book, Andrew. I'm glad you had a You're fun welcome. time reading it. Yeah, Poirot. He seems cool. Yeah, did he seem cool? He was fun to hang out with. Yeah, I think you liked it. He was... I don't love the Holmesian archetype of the detective or, or, or even like the kind of mystery story where the book is 
basically calling you a little dumb, stupid idiot baby the whole time <laughs> for not being as smart as the hero of the story and like as good at figuring out crimes. Sure. And this book gave th- this book, I think. I don't even know if you get this so much with Watson because he is so like enamored with yeah, Holmes yeah. and this whole time and like is there strictly to relay the story to you. But to have these other characters who are also like, I don't get it, man. <laughs> <laughs> that softens it a little bit. And Poirot is very good at explaining himself and bringing people along with what he's doing mm. in a way that doesn't make it feel condescending. So I, I enjoyed that. Okay. Good to know. Well, maybe we'll invite him to return someday in the future. Yeah, I mean, he's dead, but we'll... Hey, you said some more of his through the magic of modern science, Jurassic Park and whatnot, we'll bring him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. If you have thoughts about your favorite trains to take... Poirot DNA. Send us an email at OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Thanks to Psyduck, Will, Trent, Emily, Kelly, Faith, Teresa, Aaron, Jasmine, Tana, Melody, many more. Lots of folks were enjoying our Heaving Bosoms crossover ep last week. That was really fun. Take a listen to it if you haven't. It was super fun. And if if you're joining our show from their show. Welcome. Once again, welcome. Yeah, welcome to have you. Um, Shout out to Sean also who asked, did Craig ever do murder mystery dinner theater? I've never done dinner theater in my theater career, I did do a murder mystery show a few years out of college uh, in the Philadelphia Fringe. It was a good time. It was not a dinner production, though. I did have dinner every day before I performed. Andrew, I can tell you that our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis, but I can't tell you where folks can go to learn more about the show. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> Why can't you tell them? Because it's your job. <laughs> did somebody cast a spell on you? Okay, it's overduepodcast.com. That's our internet website. We have... Links to Apple and Google and our RSS page. We are on Stitcher. We are on Spotify. We're on anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, We haven't missed a Monday in years and years and years. So every Monday, subscribe to one of those things. You'll have a new episode sitting in your feed. Um, We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Sit in on bonus episode recordings, like our recording of the novelization of the movie Space Jam. That we're gonna do later this month, mm-hmm. um, and get get other stuff too. Just little fun, little fun things from us to you. Yeah, uh, Craig, what are you reading next week? Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Cool book about California in the summer. Book I guess. about Shaker Heights, Ohio. But oh, okay. you know, that's different. It's different. All right, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, I hope that you solved the murder because all the clues are here. Mr. Podcast listener, we gave you all the clues. Yeah, until you solve the mystery, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.